Hey, welcome in Stinky Truth Podcast. Uh, Mark Schlerth alongside Mike Evans, Millennial Ben producing the show. Uh, hey, Mike, man. Oh, gosh. How, how about it? Oh, wait. First, our, our, our presenting sponsor, great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app. Check them out at betrivers.com. Got a lot of projects going on with Bet Rivers. Uh, special announcement. I've got a. Uh, I've got uh, a little deal coming up. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't know that I want to announce it quite yet. Okay. But with Bet Rivers, something special I've been working on. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for okay. that as well. Mike, I'm how are you, buddy? I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm excited. Round one of the uh, NFL draft is we're, as we're talking here right now in the books. And I think the NFL, did the NFL send a couple of clear messages during the first round yesterday? Um. Yes, I, th- there were. I mean, there were a bunch. I think of clear messages that the NFL sent, um, for the most part, to to. I mean, to everybody. And, and and so let's start with the quarterbacks, right? Because we all thought that there was probably going to be three, probably three, maybe four guys that get overdrafted just because of the position that they play. And a lot of people speculated the Carolina Panthers need a quarterback. Somebody's got a big ceiling. Maybe it's Malik Willis. Maybe he can be the guy that jumps up to number six overall. What did they do? Stood Pat, took an offensive lineman, and said, we ain't falling for the banana on the tailpipe. We ain't taking the cheese, man. And I think that was a big big factor. Only one quarterback in a quarterback-driven league, only one quarterback, Kenny Pickett, he of the tiny little spork hands, um, <laughs> Kenny Pickett gets drafted 20th overall of the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about that move for Pittsburgh? You've got a chance. You, you've always been very impressed with the Pittsburgh way of doing things and, and, and Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Does that pick surprise you at all? Does that fit with how the Steelers do things? No, I, the, the Kenny Pickett pick for the Steelers doesn't surprise me at all. And, and you think about it, for those who don't know, The Pittsburgh Steelers facility is located on the Pitt campus, and they share that facility with the Pittsburgh Panthers. So the football facility is basically split down the middle. The Steelers have one half of the facility. The Pittsburgh Panthers have the other half of the facility. And so they are there together all football season long. Pittsburgh, the Panthers practice on on the far fields, and, and Pittsburgh and the Steelers practice on the close fields. And so there would be there would literally be nobody that has a better feel for the Pittsburgh Panthers and what they're doing and who that quarterback is than the Steelers. So that part of it, based on just their facility, based on the dynamic of the two, you know, organizations kind of being there together, I don't know how much cross promotion or how much cross talk, you know, both both staffs are incredibly busy. But you can't help but take notice. You can't help but see the guy at practice, the guy in the facility, the guy how he shows up, how he studies, how he. Uh, uh, not that you're not that you're grinding on it, but of course you're going to see it, and that part makes perfect sense to me for the Steelers. I think they've done like that is like you look at that and you go, okay, there would be nobody in the NFL that has a better sense of who Kenny Pickett is, even with those tiny little spork hands. There's nobody that would have a better feel for that guy. And the fact that he played, you know, I get people, he's got small hands, so cold weather may be an issue. He played in Pittsburgh. For, he, By the way, they play in the Steelers Stadium. 
Oh yeah, I mean bigger football though in the NFL, right? Well, not. I mean, a marginal. And like, I don't know that you could. I don't know that you feel the difference. Bottom line is, Plus, the, if it was a problem, you could deflate it a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Too soon, soon Patriots. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> he could talk to Brady about it. I'm <laughs> sure they'll right. get it done. Belichick will give him Tomlin. Belichick. <laughs> I like. I I like the pick for the Steelers. And it does tell you that even though, you know, Mitchell Trubisky had the year of football rehab in Buffalo, you know, he he he, he studied under um he studied studied under Josh Allen. You know, he got the he got the coaching from uh Brian Dable and everything else. Um and even with all those things, what does it say? Uh, in, in all honesty, what does it say? Hey Mitch. You're our stopgap. We don't truly believe in You're you. You're a bridge guy. Yeah. Yep. And I don't. I've done enough games with Mitch Trubisky to think that this level of you know, like he. I've done enough of his games to really feel like this probably had him a little puckered up last night. You know, that was you know, put a piece of coal on his butt cheeks, and it's going to be a diamond pretty quick. Uh. I, I would I would think that this is this puts some pressure on him. We'll see if that football year of rehab actually works for Mitch Trubisky. But this is a signal that we think of you more as a stopgap than a true answer. All right. So at least for now, quarterbacks have um, had to maybe take a step back. First time in twenty years that we've only had one quarterback taken in the first round. The receivers. What what is going on? Whether it's uh, a huge number of receivers being drafted in the first round. But the trades, mm-hmm. we saw A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown both traded. A.J. Brown immediately signs a new contract with Philadelphia. What's the message there? Yeah, isn't that – that's kind of amazing, right? I mean, when you when you, when you, you think about what, like what happened in the draft with, one, all the receivers that were taken, all the trades that were made, you know, to me, it's it's first and foremost, and you know how I feel about receivers. Receivers, first off, every position is dependent. It's what makes football great. It's the greatest team sport there is. You can't get two superstars and say, hey, let's go win an NBA championship. Like, you don't get two superstars and go, hey, let's go win an NFL championship and not be able to block for your quarterback or not be able to play defense or not. Like, it doesn't work that way. So it's the ultimate, you know, it takes all 53. It takes all 22 starters type of thing. And so I love that aspect of it. The other thing is I think what has happened is you've sent a message that receivers are dependent. And bottom line for us is the transition has become much easier. The way the league is structured, the league, where it used to be the NFL-influenced college and college-influenced high school and high school-influenced the Pop Warner, it's been a trickle-up theory as opposed to Reaganomics trickle-down theory. It's high schools affected the college game, the college game is now affecting the pro game, and the transition, the transition where it used to be a year, two, three years before a receiver really became, you know, really grew into himself, now they walk in, and we've seen guys like Justin Jefferson come in, set the league on fire as a rookie. 
You know, think about it. Minnesota got rid of Stephon Diggs, who was a big-time yeah. performer for them. He's a pain in their butt. So they moved on. Justin Jefferson becomes a Pro Bowler. Uh, Jamar Chase last year. I mean, come on. We've seen it happen time and time again. So for me, like, there's that aspect of it, Mike. Then there is the aspect of um, of because it's become easier. I mean, think about the way the defense is played right now. Uh, so when you come in, like when you came in the league, like you, like as a young receiver, man, you had to learn releases. You had to learn how to play physical. You know, you weren't used to DB stabbing you in the chest and stopping in the line of scrimmage, um, and they could ride you down the football field and all that stuff. Or if you went over the middle, you got some safety that's just going to decapitate your butt, right? They, 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 there were now none of that stuff happens, right? You can't, you can't basically. There is not the frontier justice that there used to be. So guys aren't afraid to run. The, what they used to call the bang eight or the skinny post, right? And, and you know, you're not afraid of getting your head taken off by a safety. It's just as, eh, well, no, whatever. It's no big deal. And and so it's it's different, and I just think the transition is easier. And then with all the motions, there's no static formation, the bunch sets and everything else, man, you get you can get a guy that plays receiver for you. If he's a dynamic player, you can get him a free release anytime you want to get him a free release just based on motion shifts and, and formations. So I think you're leaving one other thing out, though. Is it Are we also seeing how it revolves back to the importance and, and maybe the desperation that exists with teams and their quarterback situation? Meaning, hey, look, we don't have the guy. Okay, right. and so we got to do whatever we can mm-hmm. to try to make this guy a quarterback as effective as possible, or we've invested a lot in this quarterback, and we got to do whatever it takes to make this investment pay off, and therefore we'll trade for Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. pay him a king's ransom, we'll pay for, we'll trade for an AJ Brown, uh, pay a king's ransom, just because. We don't know. We may even think we don't have the guy at quarterback, but we got to try to make it work. So let's go out and whether it's with a high draft pick or trade for and pay one of these receivers. I think it, I think it, it still comes back because I think this. I think honestly, the teams that are set at quarterback, I I, I think those are the teams, the smart teams, that are just going to say we do not have to overpay and overinvest money or draft picks in the wide receiver position. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think the second part of your point is, I mean, two things are true at once, right? I think the, the smart teams are looking at it going, hey, we've got an established quarterback and we're not going to overpay wide receivers. We're just not going to do it. So you can, you know, you can pound sand. We're, we're just, hey, whether it's A.J. Brown or, you know, whether it's uh, Hollywood Brown or whether it's, uh, you know, whoever the game, or, or, or Devontae Adams. Like the, the big thing was, you know, I, I, I heard a lot of people talking about on the draft coverage last night about the Green Bay Packers. Still haven't drafted a wide receiver. Still haven't. You got Aaron freaking Rodgers. Nobody thought Devontae Adams was Devontae Adams when they drafted Devontae Adams, right? They thought he was some guy from Fresno State. And guess what? He developed into arguably the best wide receiver in football. So for the Green Bay Packers, they're like, why? wait a minute, why? Would we invest in somebody outside the core when Aaron Rodgers is going to take a second-round pick like Devontae Adams was 
and make him Devontae Adams. So they're going on this tried and true formula. And then I think you're right. There are teams out there that look at like, man, we don't, our quarterback isn't there yet. He's not going to take, you know, he's not going to take a really good wide receiver and turn him into an exceptional game changer. So let's go get the game changer and let's affect the quarterback that way. So two different trains of thought, two for different schools. I will say this. You tell me anytime through free agency or through a trade when drafting a wide receiver, because this is a common theme that I get all the time. We're one receiver away from winning a championship. When was the last time a guy that played wide receiver was traded for or, or you know, signed a huge free agent deal and led that team to a world championship? I'll wait. Because the, to the best of my knowledge off the top of my head, and I don't have a computer in front of me to Google it, I, it's never happened. Now, I think before Cooper Cup, who led the league in receiving yards, led the league in pretty much everything, won the Super Bowl last year, the last receiver to lead the league in total yardage and win the Super Bowl was Jerry Rice Oof. in the 80s. So that's a pretty long span. You know, it's it's pretty much the outlier. It's not the norm. Well, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch because this is literally something that really feels like it's happened overnight. The 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 dramatic uh, shift mm-hmm. in the way that receivers are being paid and right. also drafted high, you know, drafted in the first round. Right. This is stuff that we just haven't seen, and it almost feels like it. Well, it literally feels like it's happened overnight. You know, and so mm-hmm. now this is one of those things that okay, this is this is the road we're going down. Boy, I'm going to be fascinated to see how over the next three, five, ten years, how this how this plays well. It's like a case study, you know. Right. It's like you know we're going into the lab right now, and we we've started the experiment. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Here's the other thing that I'm really looking forward to, because all those quarterbacks didn't get overdrafted and didn't get moved up into the first round. People looked at the value of the first round and said, "Hey, man, there's a lot of good edge." Edge guys and defensive linemen in this draft. There's good cornerbacks in this draft. There's a lot of good wide receivers in this draft. Let's not bypass a guy who's a really good, highly rated football player to go overdraft a quarterback. So now what's going to happen? There's probably going to be a run on these quarterbacks in the second round. Like the Carolina Panthers read the room correctly, right? And they basically said, hey, man, we're not overdrafting a Malik Willis. He'll be around for mm-hmm. us, or or a Corral, or a Ritter, yep. or a whatever. Howell, yep. Yeah, how? And so I think there is this. I think there'll be a run here on second round quarterbacks, and let's see if these guys are given the opportunity to truly develop. Because a lot of what goes on in the first round is we invest the money, and then we invest the time in these guys. And we hope upon hope that they develop into real legit quarterbacks. And let's face it, there's a reason Sam Darnold is no longer with the Jets. There's a reason that Baker Mayfield is a man without a team, essentially, right now, still in Cleveland. There's a reason that Josh Rosen should never play in this league. There's a reason that the majority of these guys fail. 
and it'll just be interesting to see what kind of leash, what kind of opportunity, which what kind of development happens when all these guys get shoved to where they should be, second and third rounders, and if there's a little bit of a shift in the mentality of how we're going to develop one yeah. of these guys, or if they're just bad right off the start, you go, ah, he's not going to get another well, chance. Well, yeah, it's are these guys, and you could see three, four guys get taken in the second round, mm-hmm. are they going to be drafted by those teams that take them with the idea that we believe you're the heir apparent quarterback. Right. And that'll, if that happens and they're successful, I think that will lead to a dramatic shift right. in the way that we see quarterbacks drafted. Did the Jets, are the Jets finally figuring things out? Um, Can we no longer right. look at the Jets as laughingstocks? Yeah, I, I mean, let's think about what they, I mean, think about what they did. And now you still got to block people. You know, you still got to defend the line of scrimmage. You still got to move people. You got to do all that stuff. Um, but you're talking about getting a corner in Sauce Gardner, who many thought best corner in this draft. You get him. You get who many thought was the best receiver in this draft. And then you get, what, an edge player? In I mean, you get three first-round picks. And depending on who you're talking to, there are a lot of evaluators that look at those three first-round picks and say, you got a guy that's as good as it gets um, at his position. All right, so you got draft. Sauce Gardner, as right. many people feel maybe the best corner, best corner in the draft. Then you get Garrett Wilson, the receiver mm-hmm. from Ohio State, arguably best receiver in the draft. Right. And then you get Jermaine Johnson, the uh, defensive end from Florida State, who was dropping, and people were wondering what's going on, but then the Jets – move up and grab this guy and, and you got plenty of people who say you, you might have gotten the best defensive lineman in this draft right yeah it, it's it, it was really interesting. now i watched all the uh, like i watched a bunch of of you know they have the cameras in the jets room and everybody's high-fiving each other you know and they're like, like they're really celebrating right and rightfully so i mean you got you got guys that were considered the best at their position um, and it's and it's pretty it's pretty exciting, right? Now it's can you put it together on the football field? Um, you know, can your quarterback develop to the point where he's, you know, he's like like we just talked about. Hey, man, you just got him. What many people think in Wilson is the best receiver in this college draft. Can that guy take his game up? Can the quarterback take his game up? to the next level. What that remains to be seen. Um I always kind of laugh when everybody in the draft room is high-fiving because ultimately, you know, I, I guess you celebrate the picks you made, but ultimately it has to transition on the football field. I will say this about Robert Sala and I give draft I give excuse me, I give Jets fans a lot of grief because one it's fun, right? And they're easy. They kind of ask for it. Right. And and they're all celebrating like they've won something, right? You haven't won Ditley squat. But I will give you this. I like the direction they've gone in. And I, I go back to Robert Sala. Robert Sala has been one of my favorite coaches to meet with over the years. And watching his guys on defense practice, watching the way they play, watching the way he develops players, He's a big, keep it simple, stupid guy. Give my players their parameters. Tell them what they're supposed to do. Let them really glom onto it and know 
and not confuse them? And then how can we expand? So how can we take the base principle and get you to the point where you're saying, okay, where can I cheat the base principle based on formation, based on what I see, based on what I'm getting. And now all of a sudden, can I get an extra two yards of width on this? Or can I get an extra two or three yards of depth on this so that I can take away something? The, the best example of that is Fred Warner. Fred Warner is a third rounder who's become the arguably the best middle linebacker in football. And his capacity, his knowledge, the speed with which he plays is a testament to the way he has been developed. And and I put a lot of that I'm obviously Fred Warner has to be a pretty special player and a pretty special, you know, just a knowledge guy. But I put a lot of that on on Robert Sala. And I am giving the Jets way too much praise right now. I am just like I'm fawning over the Jets like I was a Jets fan, like I'm Mike Greenberg. Is it making you sick a little bit? Greeny, by the way, you could tell. He was oh, just Greeny he was trying was like a so hard. He was trying so hard not to just act like a fan. He was he's like a he was like a proud father, right? He he was he was like you know I, I got to tell you a story. When I was playing, Tommy Nalen was like a little brother to me, right? Tommy Nalen was a Pro Bowl center a bunch of years over and out of Boston College, and you know I was kind of took him under my wing. He was my little shaver, and um, he wanted me to come up to his room after dinner. We had a couple of of hours before we went to meetings. And so he wanted me to come to his room to watch The Simpsons. I'm like, oh my lord, we're gonna watch cartoons. He goes, no, you gotta watch this. You gotta watch this. And I'm like, I do it just to kind of, you know what, give and take, right? So little brother wants me to do something. All right, I'm gonna be a good big brother. I'm gonna head up there with him. So we get the little soft serve ice cream cones because they had that little machine, you know. Oh, soft serve ice cream is delicious. It's just great. And we went up there. And I'll never forget, we're watching it. Who was the character? There was a character, Mike, that used to go, highly dubious. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that is just, that makes me laugh. Uh, like It was one of the Simpsons characters. He was like, he was like Bart's sister's nemesis. The nemesis. It was, uh, it's uh, Martin Prince Jr. Oh, Martin Prince, yeah. Highly dubious. So anyhow, we're watching. I'm, you know, eating my ice cream cone, and something happens, and I laugh. I laugh out loud, like it. And Tommy Nalen is beaming with pride. He's like, <laughs> "Look at my big brother laughed at something I like, right?" And so then it became a nightly ritual to go up and watch The Simpsons with Tommy. And um, and, and absolutely, we'd be in the huddle sometimes, and we'd be in a TV timeout, and something would happen, like they're like they're shuffling players in, or something's on the sideline going on. And, you know, and every now and again, you just look at Tommy and go, highly dubious, right? And I don't know why. It just makes me laugh, Mike. It just makes me laugh. I always, I always get a kick out of um, my how, stupidity. Well, no, just the idea that, you know, we as football fans, we watch these games and, you know, we think that it's this, that you guys are just, it, it's, it's all on edge and high anxiety and high competitiveness mm-hmm. and everything like that. And don't realize some of the conversations that go on in huddles right during timeouts injuries whatever and how stupid uh some of you guys act 
and how you guys can just blot out whatever else is going on. You're in a stadium of 75,000 people, fourth quarter, right. and you're making jokes going, highly dubious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just... You know, it's like Joe Montana, the famous story of Joe Montana in the Super Bowl. You know, going, hey, right before the two-minute drive to win a Super Bowl, he's like, hey, here's John Candy. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like the the ability of you guys to sort of, you know, just kind of block out everything right. and just be in the moment is uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, your 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 ability, like, it's it's got to be fun, and there is a ton of pressure, and it's hard, and and all that stuff. But there's got to be some levity, and you got to have a little bit of fun doing it, and um, you know, just you, you just mess. Yeah, like I remember a game we're playing the Chargers and Rodney Harrison. At the time, was a Charger before he we went to New England. And Rodney was a badass man. Rodney would just knock, he'd just knock you out. He wouldn't even think twice about it, and um, I convinced our starting right tackle Matt Lepsis that Rodney hated him. And I don't even know. I don't even know how this happened. It just was like, like, Matt. Oh, dude, you got to be careful going to this game. And he's like, Why? Oh, Rodney Harris. I don't know what it is. Rodney Harrison hates your. Like, I played with Kirk Gavea, who's the middle linebacker, and I was talking to Kurt, and he just said Rodney just wants to take you out. And Matt, like Matt was like Matt was a really good player, but Matt was sometimes scared of his own shadow, and and. So I had him so wired up for the game that be careful around the piles and stuff because Rodney's might take you out. You know he's the dirtiest player, in the, and and I don't believe any of this stuff. And it's all just completely made up. And Matt's a basket case all week, and I mean it goes into the game where like I was like, oh dude, Matt, did you hear what Rodney just said? Like we're in the huddle, like dude, I, I was just like I just got in that pile and I came out and Rodney said. Till seventy eight to watch his legs, you know, and I'm and I mean he is like a complete bass, and we're all in on it, you know. <laughs> it's just like the stupid stuff to entertain let, ourselves. Do you ever let him in on it? Oh yeah, eventually, ever... eventually. Till I just messing with you, man. I never talked talk, talk to Rodney. How do you? I, live with myself. But... Live with yourself, but I mean, what? I guess this was maybe the one benefit of being hurt as much as you were. You had so much time to rehab. That you had ch- chances to just sit around and, and and think of these things. Just your think. ability to come up with pranks or or whatever, first of all, shows you're an overgrown child. I mean, right. you're, you're the world's largest adolescent <laughs> I've ever met. Uh-huh. Uh But but secondly, uh, yeah, you you got to have the time to to drum up these these very dark dark it's pranks. Kind of kind of dark. You got poor Matt Lepsis like running around all week thinking that Rodney Harrison hated him. Well, I mean, I, I and think into an NFL game. Right. I think the genesis of it was that that Matt during film, maybe the time before we we played, like maybe this was the second matchup, and the, and the first matchup said something about that guy scares me to death because he just flies around and, and knocks then people boom, out. You and then, instantly. Then boom, like. Oh, I got a great idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, right. chalk that one up. Right. Memorize that. Yeah, Next time we see you, him. But I also have mad respect for you in that while you're rehabbing your countless injuries and surgeries, mm-hmm. and you know you're scared of your own shadow as an offensive lineman, wondering what could go wrong. You still had the presence of mind to still dream up these kind of uh, scenarios. 
which I give you a lot of credit for. Well, you that gotta, you were constantly I mean, on the lookout for these opportunities. Right. You got to. You <laughs> hey, man, you got to take advantage of all your opportunities, right? right? Whenever they present themselves, you got to be able to take advantage of them. That's a key to a, an NFL career. And there has to be some levity. And, hey, listen, seriously, for all the players that got drafted oh, and all yeah. the players who are going to be drafted, congratulations. Um, first off, my advice, not that any of them are listening to this, but number one, build your career. Number two, the brand will follow. Career first, brand second. You do that, pay attention, study, prepare, and uh, good things will happen to you. Hey, for everybody involved in the Sink Truth podcast, we hope good things happen to you. Want to thank our presenting sponsors, great folks over at uh, Bet Rivers, Bet with a Winner, Bet, uh, Bet with Bet Rivers, also Stinking Good Green Chili. Uh, check us out, stinkinggood.com. Green chili queso dip. You're absolutely going to love it. Uh, the Rockies uh, Rockies are going through it right now. The Colorado Rockies, man, our our, our uh, queso dip cells are going through the roof. It's down there at the stadium. So uh, a lot of good things going on, man. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you next week.